Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael Flores, the host and captain of this show. And in the studio at the helm is Ensign David Sabal. Hello, Ensign. I think I'm going to cry, Captain. Really? <laughs> Can I throw you in the brig if you start crying? <laughs> there's no crying in Star Trek. Yeah, there's no crying in Star Trek. It's acceptable to cry after you make sweet love to seven and nine. That's, I mean, it's a dream come true. <laughs> then, of course, you can. You're permitted to cry. Or to Paul. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, to, or to Paul. Yeah. And in that case, you're going to be crying a lot of white tears, right? <laughs> Why are you laughing, Dave? That is not, that's not pretty if you're crying that many white tears. I'm not human. <laughs> I'm not human. Okay. Let's not be judgmental. All right, so today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard Episode 2 of Season 1, titled Maps and Legends. All right, Dave, so this is a fairly simple episode this week with some very strong, dramatic, and telling moments. As the Picard writers begin to flesh out the current political landscape of the Federation and Starfleet, uh, that was the biggest highlight for me believe it or not, with this episode, because that's something I've been talking about since day one. You know, where are we going with Starfleet? Where are we going with the Federation? What is their outlook politically? What's their ideology after the, you know, within the aftermath of the Dominion War? And of course, the Borg encounter that took place during First Contact and now with the supernova disaster with the Romulans, where, where are we at? These are questions that they have to tackle. And these are roads that were not started by Alex Kurtzman. These were roads that were started by Rick Berman and Michael Piller years ago, decades ago. ago. Yeah. And all Kurtzman is doing is connecting the dots. And that's why I get a little frustrated when I read these blogs of these Star Trek so-called purists saying, oh, this isn't Star Trek. Oh, Rick Berman. Well, he would never do this. But I'm like, he started this. Exactly. You realize that Rick Berman had tore down the Federation or at least was leading him down this path where they were alluding to the fact that it's going to be a bleak future for at least several years for the Federation. And all Alex Kurtzman and his group of producers and writers are doing are taking us, taking the shows in the appropriate path that makes sense to where we left off with a lot of these individuals, with a lot of these um, these different series, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and of course even TNG. And we're going to talk about that a bit more throughout our show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, when you take a look at, like, the history of Star Trek, this is what ultimately is the fate of Starfleet. Not not 
the Star Trek universe, we're talking about Starfleet. The Federation. Just like in normal history, all empires have to fall. Oh, how dare you call the Federation (laughs) an empire, David? (laughs) Well, at least they're not called the Terran Empire right now. (laughs) So that's the the thing that is... That's going to be the twist at the end of the card. (laughs) They're going to switch the Terran Empire. This is really the Terran Empire. Oh, my God. If they do that, I would just throw my head against the wall. Well, come on. I think everybody would quit Star Trek. I, I think I would quit. Yeah. But, like, I, I agree with you. Is like people who are saying that, oh, this is this is destroying what Bur- uh, the what the prior Star Trek creators did yeah. down to Roddenberry. I'm like, going, no, yeah. this is what they put in front of us. Yeah. Maybe you could argue that this is definitely against Roddenberry's vision, perhaps. However, as we have said during numerous discussions on Star Trek Discovery, in order to strengthen your idea of this utopian future, right? This socialist government that works beautifully for these people in this futuristic, fictitious society it works great but sometimes in order to strengthen that idea you have to challenge its principles first yes and then prove that it works and that's kind of what they're they've been doing and i'm on board as long as they don't completely undermine everything we know of the federation if this is a a learning moment or a moment to take heed much like picard said in this episode do not ignore me again I think that was, a, you know, a warning that wasn't just for, you know, dramatic flair. It, it was a statement being made by the writers. Yeah. and But the thing that I really do like is the fact that in the first two episodes of Picard so far, we understand why this, why Starfleet is going down the path it's gone because they are making all the, all the dots connect now. You know, they're, they're taking things that we know was put in Star Trek history, connecting it to the, to the series. And on top of that, doubling down and just basically saying, okay, not only did all that stuff happen, but we had a incident on Mars where Mars got turned into a fireball. And that was like the, that it's the straw. It was, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the same thing that you mentioned in the prior episode of how, it was all leading up to just one more incident had to push it over. And the incident in question that pushes it over is unfortunately due to choices that Picard made. Right. And, you know, going along with that line of thinking, it is becoming more and more clear that this is not the same Federation. Not yes. saying they as a whole are evil, but as a whole, they are tired possibly weak they're changed a, a dying government you know and as history will show a dying government waning in power and control that's losing its grip over its nations can be a dangerous government outside influence infiltrators can plant seeds of opposing ideology and in this episode we actually we actually get a glimpse of that Also, Picard comes face to face with his own mortality. Yeah. This is something I did not expect to see at all in the show. I just wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, Picard, old, probably going to die, which honestly just makes him that much more driven. When you look at it from a character point or narrative standpoint, the fact that he 
is dying is just going to give him that much more resolve. It, it's it's a really cool take on like the call to arms in in regards to like the hero's journey and stuff like that. Oh, you know, yeah? you, the yeah. hero's journey has a call to arms. They have the, that moment. Picard's call to arms is I'm on limited time. I have to do this. Well, and when you think about it, like it, he's a man that's very honorable. And, you know, some people may say it's arrogant or maybe narcissistic to um, want a, a favorable legacy to leave behind. But when you've devoted your entire life to an idea, Starfleet yes. Federation, does he really want to go out in his twilight years dying, knowing that it was all for nothing? Yeah. Especially now knowing that he's dying, this is his moment to change the course of the Federation. And that's why I love that moment between him and the Admiral, because it, yes, it's about data. Absolutely. And it's about him as well and possibly correcting some errors. But it's also about, hey, this isn't the Federation that I devoted a lifetime to. You know, he's very passionate about that. And I'm glad that they're saying and stating these things because it isn't the same Federation. Yeah. And it is not. And it's all purposeful. And it's not because they're throwing the writers are throwing caution out the window saying, fuck it. They know what they're doing. This is all purposeful. They're connecting the dots, as we said a few moments ago. Um, and we're going to get into all of this. But first, Dave, give me your initial thoughts on this episode as a whole in a nutshell. My initial thoughts on this episode after the first viewing was the first viewing. Yeah, because I look at this, you. Yeah, numerous viewing. I I I watched this episode three times. Three times, and then like the first time, I was really surprised of how simple it was. The episode was pretty short, and it felt short and sweet and simple, right? But then when you dive deeper into it, then you see the little nuances given by the performances by some of the actors again patrick stewart's awesome some of those really high emotional beats emotional scenes just home run you know like the scene with him and his uh doctor home run the scene with him and the admiral home run those performances honestly is what made this episode really good because it drove the narrative forward. That was the engine. <laughs> that was honestly the engine of this episode was getting to see a lot of the actors' performances and how good they are as an ensemble cast with Patrick Stewart in the center. And then you wrap up the bow of all those performances with the fact that this is probably the most important decision in Picard's life now. Because it's his last decision. Because as you said, the big bombshell that we get is like he's on borrowed time now. He, this can, just, is, he can just go back to the Nexus and live forever. <laughs> find Guinan. That I'm, way we can bring Kirk in and he can help with this whole I'm, problem. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm waiting for like some Star Trek baby. To bring that up. Picard can't die. He's in the he Nexus. He can't die. A He's going to stay in the Nexus. in there forever. <laughs> you lose, Alex Kurtzman. You're wrong. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. And then, like, at some point, I'm going to, I swear to God, either me or Mike are going to show up at that person's doorstep and lop their head off. <laughs> Remember uh, Kevin Smith in uh, 
Jay and Silent Bob. Right? Bob yeah. I mean, he he was ahead of he. That was a man ahead of his time. <laughs> Are you fart snuffer sixty nine sixty nine? Did you say Jay and Silent Bob can suck dick and die? Yeah, I said that. And then they just beat, his, beat ass. his ass. It's like me and you should show up on the person's doorstep and said, were you the one that brought up the whole Nexus angle? Are you Alex Kurtzman sucks 77 <laughs> on Yahoo? <laughs> yeah. Come here, you, you motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> Start kicking the shit out of him. You ma- you're making us look bad. <laughs> Are you long live Gene Roddenberry? Alex Kurtzman sucks 78. Yeah. Come here. <laughs> but I'm honestly waiting for them to bring that up. And I'm like, oh, God, please, Michael Scheibon, just put it to rest. <laughs> just just do something. What, just put so it that to the rest. Cast- we want him to kill people. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, what, I, are you, what are you in the mafia now? I'm like, Michael Scheibon, you know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. Do your thing. <laughs> you can do make you, people disappear. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You can make people disappear. You can it's borrow really my. Easy. You can borrow my kitchen knife if you need to. It's good for you know getting hoofs, hoofs off of uh, grills of cars. You know, you know hoofs. You know you can you can find people to paint your house, paint houses. Yeah, <laughs> look at you, Dave. You are getting mafia. Um. All right. So, you know, Dave, just to follow you up with that, with the initial thoughts, this feels right. Yeah. The show, despite it being much darker than its predecessor, of course, TNG, it's befitting of a show about a man who is in mourning, as Picard had stated, a guy that is at the end of his life and facing his own mortality. Yeah. Feeling alone, isolated, not respected, perhaps feeling that his career in Starfleet and the admiration he had for it really doesn't matter. So what's left? You stand for what you feel is right. So, I mean, this, these darker tones for Picard that may irk some Star Trek fans, it may conflict with TNG. It works for this specific story pertaining to Picard. This is what Patrick Stewart has said since he signed on. This is the reason why he signed on, because it was very different. It, it, it was a nuanced look into Picard. It, it, essentially, some of the best episodes of TNG thrown into its own series where you can focus and do a character study of a man, a military man and a man of science in his twilight years. In his twilight years. When do we ever get the opportunity to dissect a character like this, a pop culture icon in this way? We don't. This is a treat. We don't want to see TNG 2.0. We want to see a man at his end. At his end. And like still paying, paying respect to what's put, uh, put in front of us. Thanks to the past. Yeah. I mean, I love that one moment when Picard kind of looks at looks at the one Romulan and the Romulan brings up, well, why don't you call your old crew? And Picard's like immediately, I've thought about it, but no, I don't want to do that because he knows that the, uh, he knows that they would actually come to his aid. I mean, he doesn't want to take advantage of their loyalty. And he doesn't I, want to take advantage of their loyalty. Yeah. And, it, and I was like, going, that's good yes, stuff. Yeah, that's that good is stuff. fantastic stuff. That's how you put put down Star Trek baby saying that the whole crew should band together. No, Picard's not going to allow it because it would ruin everything that they've done together in the past. And it would like spit in the, spit in the face and disrespect what they put, 
what they've done together. And also, I don't want to see all of them together right now. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, guys, let's all team up for one last ride. <laughs> that was Star Trek 3 when they when <laughs> Captain was, Kirk stole Star the Trek fucking 3. Enterprise. Yeah, that was Star Trek 3. <laughs> which worked once. And we my, don't need to keep seeing it. And then looking up at the Enterprise falling, my God. What have I done? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. So getting back to the point that this is not the same Starfleet. Okay. So let me backtrack because we keep saying this isn't the same Federation. This isn't the same Starfleet. And it is. It isn't. Okay. But this is. Hold on. Let me. Let me. I want to make sure I say this the right way so it doesn't sound confusing. This is not the same Starfleet from or Federation from the next generation. Yes. But this is the same Starfleet in those later years, the Starfleet from the next generation films. Yeah, this is what it progressed to. And I love it. I mm-hmm. absolutely love it. This is the direction they have been heading, as we had said at the top of the show. Their actions in insurrection. If you remember Federation's involvement in the manipulation of people and the the direct violation of the prime directive when they were relocating an entire planet of people without them even knowing it. They were essentially going to transport them at, at the dead of night to a holographic representation of their planet. And this was kosher with the, yeah, with the, with Federation. the Federation. Various episodes of Deep Space Nine delved into this version of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. This is a Starfleet that's not bad. This is a Starfleet that is paranoid. And I damaged. Mean, and it's damaged. Dam- They're afraid. Not because of losing power, even though I'm talking about losing their grasp of of their outer territories. It's not about power. It's about paranoia of losing the safety of the Federation. Yes. Okay. This utopian haven for so many people. That's why in episodes of Deep Space Nine, when they delved into how the Dominion um, were, they're essentially doing terrorist cell type stuff, Al Qaeda shit, where the Dominion now were this threat that it could be anyone. It could be you anyone. don't know who yeah. it is. And they had, I believe, that entire martial law across the entire planet. I mean, these are things that were, in fact, happening during Rick Berman's run. In Star Trek. Yeah. We, we also had, we can't forget, Dave, we also had an episode of Star Trek Voyager, the season finale titled Endgame, where we saw a Catherine Janeway from the future in the year 2404. Okay. Which is only a few short years away from the events of Picard. And the decisions that this Janeway made were very very questionable. Yes. Were they evil? No, but she was a representation of a callous and tired federation and Starfleet. So all of this coalesces and works with what they're doing with this show. Yeah. And you gotta, you can even take it further and basically just look at Star Trek's history of the federation, even down to the original series. You're, you're in the middle of the Klingon war. So they, there's number there's the first war. Then you go to incidents like the Borg in uh, TNG where they they fought tooth and nail with the Federation, and still at the same time they're having these diplomatic wars with the Klingon Empire. Yeah. And then on top of that, you throw on the throw on the the Cold War battle that they're having with the Romulans at that time. No. And then on then you get to Deep Space Nine, like what you said, where it's all of a sudden Dominions here. 
and it's like a domino effect. It's like one thing after another, and all these incidents in Star Trek history are just chipping away, yeah. just chipping away at the Federation. The, to me, Picard is one of the most consistent tones in Star Trek because it fits right into everything we've been seeing. Yeah, and then all it takes is just one more matchstick to light the fire, and the the artificial intelligence uprising was that matchstick it was like at that point the federation's like fuck it we're <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we we've already this this happens on our watch screw it no we're gonna just basically make make the calls now from here on out yeah <laughs> and this is why picard's words you know to admiral uh clancy i believe is what her name was resonated based on everything we've seen when he says when he said ignore me again at your own cost you are at peril i mean that was such a powerful line especially if you know the trek that we have been just going over and talking about this is a path that they've been on for a long time very long time. And again, the episode of Voyager Endgame is, uh, takes place in the year 2404, and Picard takes place in 2399. So they have some growing pains still for several years, and I'm hoping Picard encompasses a bit of that as well. I don't. Yes, I love what they're doing with this story pertaining to Data and all the things going on with the Romulans, but I would love if they were to wrap up and put that little bow on the Federation and Starfleet and let this be the turning point. I think that would be a great way to bring Picard back to greatness. Not only do we get to see him at the at the end of his life, but he comes back not just to redeem Data and do what he's got to do, but also he plays a hand in changing the direction that the Federation has been going for the past two decades. Yeah, bringing back the Federation to what it was. Imagine if that's how his series ends, with him changing the Federation and essentially bringing it back to its default mode, at least where they were at during the earlier seasons of TNG. Yeah. I, that uh, would be such a huge success for the show, David. And it, and the legacy for that character. Yes. The legacy for that character, if he were to actually do the one thing that he was fighting about in insurrection with Shinzon, where Shinzon's saying that the Federation's a dying animal. Yeah. It's it's gonna die, let it die. But Picard is basically there saying, no, he still has hope and he still believes in the ideals of the Federation. They need to live on. And I agree with you. If he if they were to actually do that at the end of the series, that would cement Picard's legacy as arguably the most important character for Star Trek. Oh, well, hold on there. Captain Kirk traveled around a sun and brought humpback <laughs> whales back to Earth. Okay? Humpback whales. If he didn't do that, that probe would have killed us all, Dave. And, and don't forget. So you bite your fucking tongue. <laughs> and don't forget, he fought God. <laughs> That's right, David. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> fucking bastard. <laughs> bastard. <laughs> but speaking of Kirk... Let's talk about the Trek of that time, classic Trek. If things are even different from that time period. It was the wild, wild west, but they would never have turned their back on an entire species. 
they were a bit crazier. They did shoot from the hip a little more. It yes. was more of a swashbuckling era. But even in Star Trek, the undiscovered country, Star yes. Trek six, when the Klingon mining planet Praxis blew up from, I believe it was over mining. Yeah. Uh, and the Klingon people needed assistance. Otherwise they die. What did Starfleet do? What did the Federation do? They wanted to help them, led by Spock. Meanwhile, and Kirk it, let well, them die. That was a whole other perspective that made sense. It was a personal it sense, thing. Yeah, it was a personal thing. He could never forgive them for the death of his boy. I mean, come on. We already know this, right? <laughs> Killed Daniel. Christopher Lloyd. Dr. Got- Abbott Brown. <laughs> Dr. Abbott Brown. <laughs> okay, so bringing it back. You just to kind of put this into context or perspective here, the Klingons were in the same position then that the Romulans are now. The Klingons were the Federation's enemy. And yet they willingly helped them when they yeah. needed help. Right there is a valid contrast. Same scenario, enemies of the Federation, and yet Flash forward a hundred and some years in the future and the Federation Starfleet did the wrong thing and turned their back on the Romulans. Yeah. And I thought it was, that scene with the Admiral was with Admiral Clancy, what she said was so powerful and poignant when she basically said, and me and you talked about it off air about that one line that she says that we decide who lives and dies. Yeah, dude, that's dark. And I was like going, oh, that that's, I mean, dude, when, when a person in a position of power starts speaking like that, I mean, that's, a, that's abuse of power. But the, the, the scary thing is, is she believes the character herself believes she's doing the right thing. And that's why the writing in this show is fantastic because yeah. the writing and the directing just says it all. It's conveying the right ideas like we get that she's not evil i don't believe this woman yeah, i don't think is a Clancy's bad person i think she is feeling the weight of the time and she believes in her heart that the only way to save the federation and save the starfleet and to save this way of life that they have that's so very important is to do the things that you're doing i mean we talked about this briefly in the first episode discussion this is essentially about an ice an isolationist yes you know which you know talking politics and i I don't want to get into it but i will because it's relevant there's a lot of people that feel like that's the direction that this country's going that we're starting to be more and more an isolated country because of some of the decisions we're doing we're isolationist and we know if you look at history that doesn't really bode well so they're using that a bit you know current politics to kind of dress the setting for this show, this series, and it absolutely works. We get it because when societies become isolationist, it's usually out of fear. It works, and I love it, and that's why I'm saying that if we go down this path, there has to be light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, this isn't Star Trek. Star Trek is about optimism, and that's something we can throw all the doom and gloom that we want in a show. In Star Trek, we can just throw, throw, throw darkness, death, despair, but there's got to be a light. There's got to be a light at the end of that tunnel. And right now, Picard is that light. Data's spawn 
his daughters, I have a feeling they will also be part of that light. Part of that light. The optimism of this series. So we have to give this show a chance. And I I feel like we are really on the right path here. There's so much going on. Shaban is a fucking genius so far. Two episodes in and I completely understand what he's doing. Do I know his story? Do I know the direction? No, but I see what he's doing. Yeah. And that, I think that's the one thing that I feel really comfortable with in just two episodes is Michael Shaban is showing that he understands what he's doing and he's willing to quote unquote, take us by the hand and say, Hey, just trust me for a second, couple episodes. You'll get it. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was saying that Picard he has to play a very big role in the restructuring of Starfleet and the Federation in this series. Or we have to get the idea that because of his actions, the leaders, the powers that be, realize the path they're on is wrong. And if that is how this series overall wraps up this whole Federation Starfleet path they're on this show could be remembered as a fucking godsend for Star Trek because essentially it's continuing narrative cues that started back with nemesis and insurrection and deep space nine and Voyager. Essentially this is like the sequel of all Star Trek of all Star Trek of all of the Rick Berman era Star Trek. It, It really is when you, if they're going in this path. Oh yeah. And this could be the really important curtain call. Or that story arc. To where we, yeah. Yep. To where, where Ber, uh, Berman started this huge story arc since TNG, and it leads up to Picard, I think would be really poignant. Yeah. And it would be, it would arguably make it the greatest story arc of all time, of of all of Star Trek. We talk about, me and you have discussed, like, various story storylines in Star Trek that are important to Star Trek. This in itself the rise and fall and eventual rise again of the Federation mm-hmm. of Gene Roddenberry's belief of humanity's, you know, greatness, mm-hmm. how great humanity can be. And it culminates in Picard, arguably the f- number one pick for be- greatest storyline of all time. It, it could be, but we're going to, we're jumping ahead here. We're getting a jumping little too giddy. Yeah. But it's, it, it's gearing up that way. Yeah. So besides this feeling like an appropriate epilogue of the Trek we know, this episode jumps headfirst into deep Romulan politics, secret <laughs> governments and conspiracies. And David, I got to say, I, I was giddy as Data when he fucked Tasha Yar. <laughs> I mean, I could have hold back my grin. When they introduced the Tal Shiar. Tal Shiar. I mean, that's something that always floated my boat back in the old TNG days. Of, and of course, Deep Space Nine. Um, but they took us right back to the Tal Shiar. Another fairly big element at times during the run of TNG and even more so in Deep Space Nine. I mean, the Tal Shiar was directly involved with the uh, with the conquest of the Dominion. They were neck deep within the Dominion War along with the Obsidian Order, which is the Cardassian secret yep. government or government. So many secret governments in, inside of Star Trek. It's amazing. I know. 
they did introduce a new element rather than just relying on things we have known. Uh, they did introduce a new element to this episode's narrative that could end up being the very people or organization behind the assassination of Data's daughter. The element being the real face behind the Tal Shiar, the Tsar Vash. That what it was? Yeah, the Tsar Vash. Apparently, they are a very old and secretive group. So secretive. No one knows their true endgame what they want to or what they want to accomplish. However, we are led to believe they, the Romulan people as a whole, which I believe this is new. I've never, I don't remember this. They have always shunned form all forms of AI, artificial life within their culture, which I mean, I don't remember them stating that, but I also don't remember ever seeing any type of AI within a Romulan vessel or whenever we dealt with Romulans. Do you? No, never. I so, mean, the closest one you we got, honestly, in Trek when when they did deal with it mm-hmm. was the uh, the I think it's the epilogue of uh, the Star Trek movie into uh, where basically they dealt what? they showed that they were working on Borg technology. That's the only time when I've ever this? seen that. the epilogue of the movie. What movie? Uh, in what epilogue? The, the epilogue, the comic. The comic oh, for oh, the oh. Star Trek. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but that's With not Nero. Can- Come on, Dave. That's not canon. No, no, no. It is. No, it it's is. It's considered. It is not. David, no comic books are canon when it comes to Star Trek. That one in particular, though, I actually looked not, it up. D- David, it's not canon. It's not canon, Dave. <laughs> Come on. Don't be the internet. <laughs> TV shows and movies are the only thing that is considered canon in Star Trek. The comic books are not canon. What do you think this is? Star Wars? <laughs> why don't you write a blog about it, Dave? <laughs> write a blog about it? Why, no, because of, why this Star Trek comic is canon? <laughs> because then you'll show up at my doorstep and beat me with a yeah. with a batleth. <laughs> are you Davis the Ball? Star Trek comic books are canon 77? <laughs> yes. Come here. <laughs> That comic book is cool, and it definitely is a nice little inside peek into what possibly the writers were thinking when they were writing the scripts. Absolutely. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, or when it comes to the bigger picture, it's not canon. Yeah. But if you look at, like, television and movies, yeah, there is no precedent of seeing the Romulans with artificial AI. So I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, We can definitely see where this is going. but would they hack the synthetics? That's the big question. So we're being led to believe that this secret group within a group, the Illuminati, if you will, let's just say that, is involved in this entire conspiracy. But I'm starting to think there's more than there's more than one group here. There's a bigger there's a bigger threat. It, it feels like there's it a bigger story than just simply the Tal Shiar. Because what first off, I can't believe because first off, let me just say my biggest problem with this episode was uh, oh my god, the opening act. I love the episode, but the writing could have been a little better. The story was awesome. The actual writing wasn't the greatest. The way they the, the exposition of the tall Shi'ar and the secret group that no one knows what they're about. But it was by, still but a little heavy handed by the end of those fi- by the end of that five minute tangent by the Romulan lady. Suddenly she knows 
what they're about. <laughs> they're so secret. Let me. This is how it started. No one really knows what they're about. However, by the end of this tangent, suddenly we realize, or she comes to the conclusion, that they are against synthetic life. I'm like, but you just said that no, they're so secret. No one knows what they're even what they're even about. What their end game is? It, it's a leap of logic. Yeah, it was so, a leap of logic, and I, I'm like, going, I, I definitely see that point. It, it was kind of, it was kind of weak sauce the way that whole thing was written. Now again, the story and those breadcrumbs were great. But the way it was delivered, it was delivered I, I got was a, little a little nervous heavy. because that was the opening 10, 15 minutes. I mean, and the intercut shots and they were how they were, you know, juxtapositioned. It was very confusing. One minute we're in uh, Deja's. Is it Deja? Deja. We're in Deja's apartment. Then we're back at Picard's estate. She's telling one story and then we go back to another. And while we're at this other scene, she's still talking about something else from this scene. It was it was edited poorly as well. And I think they could have if that if it was written that way, they didn't need to edit it that way. Is It kind of just. It kind of muddled an important part. This is where we are learning about certain things. But my point is I wasn't trying to be negative, but my point is. If they gave us all of that in 10 minutes and they were willing to give us those little nuggets, I don't think they just gave up the goods. I don't think this is the story. No. There is so much more to it because I have issues and I do not think this would be the case. Do we honestly believe that the Tsar Vash hates synthetic life so much that they hacked into these synthetics to kill their own people? Just to ban all, all AIs? Yeah. Is that really their end game? I feel like there's so much more to it, right? Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. That's what that's what I got out of it was like, this was delivered so heavy-handed, it can't be the well, answer. It's, a, it's almost like it's it was treated like, this is a red herring. It's a red herring. It just looks, yeah. it, 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 well, it's right there and we're going to make it look like it's real. But in all honesty, <laughs> it's too much of a red herring. Yeah. And it's also, it seems like it might be a bit elaborate, a little overly elaborate and about 300 years late. Why now would the Tsar Vash decide to hack into synthetic life? And kill their own people so you can ban, so they can ban AI. So that they can ban any AI. It, it doesn't it, seem right. Is it right. plausible for this moment in the TV show? Yes. Is it plausible to be the actual end game for the entire series? No. There is so much. There's got to be something bigger in the now, works. This, this is only the tip of the iceberg. And it's probably not even as obvious as we may think it is right now. Now, here's, I put on my tinfoil hat. Okay, okay, do it. Do it. I put my tinfoil hat on this one, Mike, and I want to see if you can help me connect the dots. Okay, I will try. We're we're dealing with artificial intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And if this organization hates art, artificial intelligence, supposedly, or something that started it, there is artificial intelligence that they can definitely use as a callback. That we just recently saw in Star Trek Discovery season you two. You think they're going to tie in Discovery? They're going to tie in Discovery with Control. Huh. Because remember, the one question that me and you had at the very end 
of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which was fantastic. Where the hell did Control go? What what happened to it? They said, didn't they destroy it? I have to go back. I don't remember now. That's the thing. I I was like thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. But, but they also had a lot of Borg similarities, how it assimilated humans. And we had thought maybe this was the actual root or the beginning of the Borg. Of the that Borg. It actually started from humans. Yeah, dude, I don't know, man. I mean, and that's when my tinfoil hat showed up. And I'm like, like, I don't think that's a tinfoil was- hat moment. I think that's valid. I think that, I mean, we're dealing with Alex Kurtzman's yes. run of series. It's all the same producers and and various similar writers. They could very well find a connection there. Find a connection to control. Because the biggest question I, I that I didn't think had, about that, Dave. The biggest question that I had at the end of season two was, okay, they said that they had control under. I remember. I vaguely remember Starfleet saying, oh, we have con- the, the program under control. And. I was like, so they captured it? They have it still around? What the fuck? They got to be careful, though, because the whole reason why Star Trek Season 3 takes place in the future is because they cannot be known to have existed. Because Control could find them and they had to lie to Starfleet. You remember Pike, Spock, all of them were sworn to lie about what really happened to discovery. But think about it. It'd be the perfect that control would find out where they're at. But in, in doing the lying, it's a perfect hiding spot, hiding space for control. What's a hiding space or uh, it's a hiding spot for the control program. Oh, they're going to lie about me. Cool. Yeah. Hey, listen, (laughs) I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, synthetic life, AI life. I mean, it's, I, I do see the, uh, it's very similar in, in, in the way of themes. So we'll see. All right. So getting back to the Telashiar or the Zalva, what is it? The Zarvash. Zargash. The Zarvash. I'm just saying, can I call it the Zargash? Excuse me. What'd you say? What'd you say? Man, this is a giant big Zargash. Oh. <laughs> All right. So. The Tsar Vash, apparently, they have infiltrated Starfleet. Uh, Commodore O. I'm thinking she's not bad. I, I, yeah, I think it's a little too obvious. They revealed her motives way too soon. I don't think it's as simple as it looks. I have a feeling she thinks that whatever's happening is not what's actually happening. Do you get what I'm saying? No, yeah. Especially after the follow... Uh, Especially after the next scene where we see Lieutenant Narisa Rizzo, who is my new girlfriend, by the way. I fucking love her. She's evil. <laughs> she's bad. She's tall. She's I, I amazingly was hot. When I, when I watched them the second time, I'm going, I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. Mike that is my is type. Probably, that is my type. Probably going, oh, Just I love you. <laughs> mean, mad, always in a bad mood, sexy. Yes, give it to me. Please, Rizzo. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, so... Once we went to the next scene where we see Lieutenant Rizzo talking to Narek, we find out that, A, she's not human. She's a Romulan. She's infiltrated Starfleet. And she's using, oh, as she had said, that she has been useful to this point. We don't want her to turn against us. 
So there's a bigger story there. I'm sure we're going to find out. And I don't oh, think it's. Is. And honestly, I'm hoping Commodore O isn't bad because then they're done that. We've seen these bad members in Starfleet, and I'm just like, ah, come on. A bad higher ranking yeah, officials, yeah, too. Right. Now, misguided, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Clancy. I, I thought Clancy is great. Yes. Misguided, I'm okay with, but straight out evil and, you know, nefarious planning bad deeds along with the Romulans. I, I, I don't really care to see that again. Again, it's all about execution and how it's revealed if it does end up being that. It's all about the execution, and I'm sure they can win me over, but as as it stands right now, I prefer her just to be kind of misguided or kind of clueless in the dark a bit, thinking she's doing one thing, but in actuality, she's being manipulated by people she don't even know. Yeah. Or even know what they're about or their end game. And it, it would make sense. I mean, I'm still waiting. The one thing that we're dealing with so many secret organizations the biggest secret organization that I was like trying to figure out is you mean to tell me that Starfleet's what the fuck happened to section nine? Well, Dave, <laughs> shouldn't I, they actually be knowing about this shit? You're right. And maybe because you got to remember Alex Kurtzman also has a section nine show planned. So maybe he will introduce a little nugget here and there, because as we know, George Joe is actually going to be the lead of that show. She's going to be the main character. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe we'll have a little our first preview into that series in some way. That's a good call. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this Borg cube. It seems to be creating a lot of confusion as to what exactly it is. Now, the artifact was the Romulan designation for a derelict Borg cube. Yes. That had suffered submatrix collapse, resulting in its immediate severance from the Borg collective. From the hive. Yes, from the hive mind. All technology and drones aboard the vessel had been rendered inactive, although researchers were warned to stick to the gray zones for their own safety. We're not quite sure what those gray zones are yet, but in the Picard series, the Romulan Free State established the Romulan Reclamation Site within the cube managed by the Borg Artifact Research Institute. Now, interesting Easter egg here. These are Easter eggs. Listen to our pre-show on Patreon if you want to know what that means. A plaque at the reclamation site reads that 5,843 days had passed without an assimilation. Yes. A little over 16 years. Okay, so that may be relevant later. That's an Easter egg. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Another interesting bit of information here is a Romulan researcher stated that a nameless Borg drone had been in regenestasis for 14 years indicating that the artifact was disabled circa 2385 okay so that looking at our Star Trek timeline here that puts events closer to what did I say 2385 85 That takes place between Nemesis and the Star Trek 2009 Kelvin film, the flashback sequence, the 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 actual prime timeline aspect that kicked off the Kelvin timeline. Ooh, that, so is it relevant? It could it be. Could be. It but could that, be. That that's an Easter egg. Yeah. And on top of that. Were you creeped out by when they were dissecting the Borg and they took the face off? Yeah. 
oh my god, that the the effects on that were just superb. Like yeah. I was cringing all the time they were taking off the implants, and it and it, it led to that me. that that quote unquote money shot of them ripping the the Borg's uh, eye implant out. Can we I'm get like, a money we, shot when Seven Nine appears? Oh, we will. Can we get a money we shot will. then, because then I can definitely get behind that. Many screens shot. will be clean. Wow, David. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yes. But you know what? The Borg aspect always made me kind of cringe a bit because I am remembering the original inspiration for the Borg. They were eventually, they were not eventually. They were essentially. Zombies in space. Yeah, space zombies. That's essentially what they were. And I've always had a a true phobia, I want to say, of body horror. Body horror bothers me. Yeah. Truly bothers me. And whenever you lose a limb and it's replaced with something else against your will, I mean, that just, that makes my skin crawl. So whenever we ever saw Borg where you, hey, we're going to cut your arm off and put a robotic arm instead, it just... It really bothers it me. Really so that bothers- entire scene was just fucking great. The way the feelings it created and the the unease. The so unease, that was yeah, yeah. And and I think it was purposeful, not just because of the body horror aspect, but also I I have a feeling they're saying something here. This is Star Trek. There's always some type of political statement, especially if we're dealing with a show like this. Uh, this seems like a bit of an allegory for human rights violations. I have a feeling this is the direction we're heading with this show in general. Uh, there was a clear contrast between how we've seen Starfleet deal with Borg drones that they can save. Yeah. And how the Romulans were viewing and treating them in this episode essentially as nothing. Well, if you think about it, 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 that, that type of, that type of, uh, Parallel goes great with the very beginning of the episode that started with the F-8 unit. Right. Because that's what had my, my question is, okay, why did the F-8 units just go crazy and start killing people? But when you take, when you take a look at how they were treated, oh, the, don't, don't pay any attention to them. They have no emotions. They don't matter. And I was like going, yeah, I think you're, you're onto something where you suddenly start that start the episode with that scene and then lead to the ending scene where they they're treating like the Borg, like their name, what they, what'd she call nameless. them? The nameless. They're nameless. Yeah. And it bothered, it bothered Deja's sister. I do like that. Cause we're seeing, you know, the love for humanity in an artificial life. You know, Soji is acting very similar in the way she cares for the nameless. Yeah. Much like data would no doubt treat people and, and the way we have actually seen him treat people throughout his run in TNG and in the movies. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it goes in line with, we mentioned in the first episode, how they did the tie in with the, the episode of data's daughter. Yeah. How data treated his daughter and the power, the, the, the powerful scenes of data actually saying goodbye to his daughter and doing that. It touches the heartstrings. Yeah. And you see that the heartstrings. or tugs the heartstrings. It could touch him, I guess. And, I mean. <laughs> and then it, and then you, you put it in parallel to Soji treating the Borg. It's almost like what data, it is what data would do. It, it, it should, it's not, well, it's not an approximation of it. It is how data would do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about that flashback sequence from 14 years earlier. Uh, as you had mentioned a few moments ago, it was interesting. It does seem like the synthetics were hacked. I think that's, I think that's a safe bet. I mean, you saw how essentially the AI was a bit lifeless. <laughs> that's and then suddenly, <laughs> Yeah. And then suddenly his eyes kick into gear. Like there's life in his eyes and then he starts doing his thing. But ultimately I liked that. There was a, a stark contrast between these synthetic life forms and data because it shows the uniqueness of data and his offspring. Um, and I'm going to be a stickler when it comes to this part of the show. We cannot have any other AI that comes even close to data. We can't. No, I agree. I agree with you. Now, control from Star Trek Discovery works fine because they're evil. Control's bad. Yeah. So if they have these little unique qualities to mimic humans, but even they said, what did they say? They said they couldn't, they're the, the nuances of humans, they could not copy. Copy. There's a nuanceness, and that's why they had to assimilate the captain of Section 9, if you remember. Yes. Because they couldn't mimic it in the hologram. They had to actually take over a human body. So, continuing that line of thinking, we can never rival Data. We just can't. In order for Data's legacy to hold value... Throughout the run of Star Trek, he's got to be at the forefront of of AI life. Yeah, because, because he like, is he's one of a kind. Yes, and him, the fact that no one he couldn't even understand it himself. The fact that Lore, his brother, who was just in, as intelligent as him, could not understand the the the, the, the couldn't understand basic human emotions. He. Yeah gravitated towards evilness whereas data embraced and encompassed all of the best of humanity yes and not truly understanding why he was able to do that is the best thing about the character because he is alive he's a real person and i'm okay with his daughters because they are part of his mind and the way they explained it that even a piece of his positronic matrix can essentially bring him back a piece of him can live on and if that's how they built his daughters or he had a hand in the building of his daughters which more and more at first i didn't like that idea honestly if this is the route we're going i hope he had a hand in building these daughters yeah and it would make sense because like i'm so special and you're right if they do they they can't one-up data when it comes to androids that act like humans and that's why the F8s, I didn't have any problem because they they were blank slates. That's pretty much how I saw it is like, especially when they smile and it's not the data smile where you see this glimmer of emotion that's there, that's in his posit- positronic matrix. No, it's just a, a blank, you know, oh, this is, I'm just smiling because type of thing, you know, yeah. there's no emotion behind it. Yeah. So, Dave, whatever they end up doing with this series, as long as they continue the idea that Data is 100% unique and his daughters are also a part of that. Yeah. I'm okay with. Because, again, I'm very – I am a stickler for Data's legacy. As I said in our last discussion, the way he died and how he died, I stand by it. 
and people may have their complaints about Nemesis, but when it comes to the end at that point, as how we viewed it, that this was going to be the last TNG film, right? Yes. Um, I felt like that was a great ending. The fact that Data finally understood human life in its fullest, not just love, not just appreciation for life and music, not just happiness, not just friendship or companionship, but now sacrifice. So yeah. they can't destroy that. They cannot. So whatever they do in this series, it has to has to work in tandem with data sacrifice. And that's why I love the moment in this episode when Picard said, I have been mourning my colleague and friend for two decades. I'm like, yes, Shaban gets it. He yes. understands the importance of that bond. So I loved it. On that note, we do need to wrap this discussion. We are going kind of over a bit on time this week. David, give me your final thoughts. Final thoughts and should we do grades? Yeah, final thoughts episode? and grades, yeah. Okay, so my grade for this episode first is I'm going to give this a 87. No! Um, it's a it's it's a very good episode. I'm enjoying episode uh the series thus far with Picard. I'm I that moment with him and the doctor made me tear up the second time I watched yeah. it because I got to actually see it in full detail. And I'm like going, that hit me in the, that hit me in the soul. <laughs> and I was like, I wasn't expecting that. And that shows how good the writing from Shaban is, but also the performance of the actors and the directing in that scene. It's just perfect. It's, it's, it felt so real. And get in in a scene like that, and it's one of those shining moments in in this week's episode that I think is my favorite moment in the episode. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that at this point in the game, the important things to really, really take care of in the series is Data's legacy because they're treading on that AI type of okay, are Data's daughters more perfect than data at that point then? they're hotter than data oh <laughs> and then like what uh what does this mean to picard with the whole you know data's legacy they have to really take care of that and i have no uh uh i i've i may sound like i don't have faith in shaibon to writing a story like that but i do i have a complete faith that he can do it he hasn't failed yet. <laughs> only two episodes in, Dave. We're only two easy, episodes easy in. Easy now, Dave. But honestly, I have complete faith in like what we're seeing right now in Picard. I really enjoy it. I'm really enjoying the series after two episodes. Yeah, no, I agree. So what's your uh, percentage? It was at 87. 87. All right. I will give this episode an 84%. I felt like the story was great. It was a good continuation of what we have seen. Um, overall, I did have some issues with how it was scripted out. Um, it was very boom, 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 really fast for the opening, I don't know, act and a half, and then suddenly everything slows down. It almost feels like those opening minutes probably should have been put into the first episode. And then the cliffhanger should have been the tall Shiar is involved. And then you ease into the introduction of the, this new secret organization, the true face of the Tal Shiar, the 
bar gash, whatever it's called. I think it would have been a, probably a, a little easier to swallow because there was a lot of exposition. It went from not understanding what the tall Shiar and the Vash was about to understanding what they were about all in about <laughs> five, five to minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. So overall though, the story was great. I mean, to see Patrick Stewart on screen again, uh, I mean, the, he came back for the right reasons. Yeah, he did. And you understand now why he decided to come back. Cause as we had discussed, he had turned down previous reasons to come back to the show uh, or to play or to reprise Captain Picard. And when you see the direction they're taking the show, you understand why he chose to came to come back. So it's working. I am very, very excited to see what's next. And that concludes this week's discussion. If you want to get more Star Trek from the holodeck, as well as some pre-shows, we kind of get the jitters out before we do our main shows. You can head over to patreon.com slash rainman digital and pledge $3 or more a month will help you gain access, will gain you access to our pre-shows. And then, of course, on the $5 tier, you'll gain access to a whole plethora of additional Star Trek discussions. We jump into different themes, uh, topics. Right now, we're on a Maquis kick. I believe we're getting ready to start part seven. Yes. We've done a whole Borg discussion, uh, Voyager discussion. Q. We're, Q. We're actually in the middle of that as well. I still say he should show up. No. Well, <laughs> let me think. Shit. Final moments. Final moments. Picard's die. Q shows up. Is there a Sean Luck Pickard here? <laughs> <laughs> Only if he says that. <laughs> Mon Capitan. And then Picard dies. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Now, okay. Hold on a second. Let me think about this. <laughs> if Picard dies and Q is there to meet him. And death, fuck yes. <laughs> that would be it, awesome. Holy fuck, dude. It. Oh my God, dude. That would be powerful. Can you imagine? Yeah, because if you think about it, this is, Q's been watching Picard the whole time. <clears throat> See, I, testing him. And I get so angry when people say, this is off topic, and we actually, you can... You can actually listen to this entire diatribe and discussion and breakdown on Patreon. Uh, but the whole idea that Q is a villain is fucking bullshit. It's bullshit. No. I, I under, who greatest Star Trek villains of all time. Like Q is always on the top five. I'm like, he's not, not a, a villain. villain. Nope. Not even a little bit. Nope. He's a way to get inside the minds of our characters, to challenge our characters, to teach lessons, to be a harbinger. He's so many different. He's essentially a plot device in so many ways. <laughs> now, we got to be careful, Mike. We don't want to give too much away. Yeah. I mean, we want them to go to Patreon and actually That's true. listen to the Q, the Q discussion because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. All right. So that concludes this discussion. David, thank you. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.